Well, the title of this morning's message is Game Changer. And if you're familiar with the term Game Changer, it means something that changes things going forward. Something that is noteworthy. Uh, I did not look up an actual definition, but uh, the one I came up with myself in preparing for this morning is an invention or a concept that signifies significant change in society. You might have heard the term, let's not reinvent the wheel. Well, that means, hey, let's not, let's not have to go back and start over. But uh, when I think about game changers in the world, the wheel would probably be considered a game changer, right? Or if you're thinking about transportation, the locomotive and what that meant at the time that it was invented. The automobile, the airplane, the light bulb. We think about how we get information. There was a time when a radio was a new thing. I don't expect any of you all remember when it was new. the television, you know, when it was new. And I've talked to people that remember uh, the first television that somebody had on their street. Or uh, we think about uh, the printing press. Uh, that was a game changer for Christianity because uh, while it wasn't uh, back in the mid-1400s, while it wasn't in English as of yet, but it put copies of Holy Scripture into people's hands because up until that point, all you would have had is something that would have been literally copied by hand or a, a more primitive form of printing that wasn't nearly as efficient as Gutenberg's printing press. And so uh, we think about uh, the photograph, the personal computer, the internet for crying out loud. The guy that I think it was back in the 50s or something like that, he invented the light emitting diode. Anybody knows what a light emitting diode is? Have you ever heard of LED? That stands for light emitting diode. So, uh, any car that's been built in the last 10 or 15 years uses LED taillights. Or many of you have LED screens. I'm looking at an LED monitor. If you have a smartphone, it is made with an LED screen. So when he invented that, some 50, 60, whatever years ago, I'm sure he had no idea that what, uh, what his invention might do. Because early on it was used in calculators. You either had a liquid crystal display or you had a little LED display. And that was about all that was used for, for many, many years. And that is a game changer. And this morning, church family, we're going to read about something that was a game changer for the Christian world. Last week, we looked at two situations or two, two episodes or examples of healing. We were introduced to somebody named Aeneas in Acts chapter 9. And then someone named Tabitha. Now, if you look at Aeneas' situation, we talked about how he had been paralyzed for eight years. And then what happens? Peter encounters him and he gets up and he walks away. No need for rehab. No atrophy, right? Right? 
just gets up, picks up his mat, and walks away, saying, see y'all. And then someone named Tabitha or Dorcas, and, and she was someone that was so dear to the people around her. And she was dead. And Peter prays, and then she comes back to life. Two incredibly significant moments in the early church. Because it reminds us that the power of Jesus was still alive even though Jesus was not present. But yet, Brother Luke manages to fit both of those instances in a total of about 12 verses at the end of Luke 9. What we're going to read about today doesn't even fit in one chapter. It runs all the way from Acts chapter 10... Did I say Luke 9 a minute ago? I meant Acts chapter 9. Luke wrote it. Sorry, guys. But it runs from Acts chapter 10 all the way to Acts chapter 11, verse 18. If my math is right, it's something like 66 verses. It's the longest narrative that Luke gives us in the book of Acts. And so, it is... A story about a guy named Cornelius. And so we begin in Acts chapter 10. Actually, I almost skipped my verse from my last verse from Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 43 is where I want to start. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, it's important to understand a few things. Of course, Cornelius is part of the Roman legion. And as a centurion, We've discussed this before. That's where we get the word century. Uh, it's the same root that, that we get the word centurion. And that, that signifies that he's probably in charge of about a hundred men. Now, the town of Caesarea is a place that is known to have lots and lots of Gentiles. It's not a Jewish community. As a matter of fact, the name Caesarea comes from the word Caesar. So it was something that was built or renamed, you know, after the occupation of the Roman Empire. 
And so Jewish people would have known that, okay, there's not a lot of our folks in Caesarea. Now, something else that's significant going on here is that Peter is staying where? He's staying with Simon, but we're told Simon's occupation, aren't we? What does Simon do, church? He's a tanner. What does a tanner do, church? Well, it's someone who takes animal hides or skins and then treats them to turn them into leather. So you're touching dead animal stuff. And if you do research, trust me, uh, this is an episode of Dirty Jobs right here. Okay, uh, what they had to handle, what they had to do to treat this stuff way back when, one word for it, church, it was nasty. No self-respecting Jew who worries about what is clean and what is unclean is going to be concerned, is going to even be remotely in, in a home with someone who does this kind of work. So already, at the end of Acts chapter 9, we get a bit of foreshadowing at what's going to happen regarding these long-standing Jewish rules about what is clean and what is unclean. Or, where it matters for us today, who is worthy and who is unworthy. You see, Cornelius is someone who is called devout. And when I was making my notes, because I've never really thought about this in great detail before, but as I was sitting in a booth at my favorite restaurant, I was making notes and I said, was he a Jew? Question mark. I knew he wasn't. Was, was he a proselyte? Okay, those are those people that convert to Judaism, but being a male, it would have required him to be circumcised. And no, he wasn't that either. There were people who would go to the synagogue. Now, they were not given all the rights of the Jewish community, but they were people who looked at the Jewish community and said, huh, I like some of, I, I like what they do. I like how they take care of the travelers. I like how they take care of the foreigners. I like how they take care of the poor. I like the way they have strong family ties. There's a lot to like about the devout Jewish community. What have we always said, church? I know I'm not the first preacher to stand at the front of this auditorium and say this. But we live in such a way that we let others see God living through us. And so the Jewish community, for all that they did in rejecting Jesus as a whole, we know that some of them did accept Jesus, certainly. But for all that they did in rejecting Jesus... There were a lot of good, God-fearing, and that means people who have awe and reverence for the Almighty Father. A lot of good, God-fearing Jewish people. And they were living in such a way 
that people could tell when they looked closely, you know, they, they're doing things a bit different. Now, what's remarkable about this is Roman soldiers, and especially someone who had uh, a kind of rank like what Cornelius had, they often used their position to be coercive toward other people. You know, they would, uh, they would run schemes and they would have ways of getting paid from the people. If you think about what you might have seen with, uh, with organized crime, how they approach a business and say, hey, uh, you know, I can make sure that nothing happens to your business. You know, I'll come by once a week and I'll expect an envelope. And of course, for the people that didn't participate, well, guess what? Something happened to their business, right? And so the Roman soldiers ran, a lot of them ran a game kind of similar to that. We see evidence of that in Luke chapter 3 because John the Baptist preaching by the river tells them, says, you know, hey, you know, you, you soldiers, be content with your pay and, and don't extort people. And so it's remarkable. What, what Luke is setting up here is he's telling us that this was a really good guy. And the fact that he has a vision at about three in the afternoon, that was a traditional Jewish time for prayer, the ninth hour. And so that shows us right there when he has this vision, it's a time when he was in prayer. Because he set time aside every day to pray to God. And so then likewise, uh, Peter has a vision. Peter, uh, in verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on a roof to pray. And so then uh, he becomes hungry, he wants something to eat, he goes into a trance, something like a sheet comes down and he sees all these different animals. There are four-footed animals, there are birds, there are reptiles, and he hears the voice that says, take, eat, and he says, oh, I can't eat things that are unclean. And the reply comes that... Uh, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And so this happens, I believe, three different times. And so then he kind of comes out of his trance. And then he uh, uh, meets these men who, that Cornelius has sent. And they say, come back with us. So then he goes back with them. And so, verse 27 of Acts chapter 10, While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He's now at Cornelius' house. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Now, imagine somebody coming to your house and then declaring, God has shown me not to call you profane or unclean. He has revealed to me that I am allowed to enter your house without defiling myself. 
Because that's essentially what Peter just said. He said, you know, we, we used to look at y'all and think, man, y'all are gross and nasty. And when I was invited to somebody that was gross and nasty, I came. I'm, I'm a good guy now. You, you didn't, I didn't put up any resistance. I came as I was invited. And even though we used to look at y'all and say, you're gross and unclean. Well, I'm willing to step inside your house. Now, I listened to that. And I remember reading that. And I absolutely, I just thought, Peter, really? It's not exactly how to win friends and influence people. But of course, I'm looking at this through very Gentile eyes of the 21st century. If we roll back the clock almost 2,000 years, well, it was a very different time and a very different place. Many of you have seen in your lifetimes shifts in society. The last 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you've seen significant shifts in society. So we can only imagine the kind of shift that's going on almost 2,000 years ago. And one of my Lipscomb professors who wrote this book says, we cringe at this opening statement. How could Peter say such an offensive thing? But Cornelius understood the profound nature of the concession Peter was making. After all, he was somebody who had worshipped in their synagogues. And he, know that he, he knows that he didn't get to sit at the places they got to sit. You know, he, he didn't get near as close to the front as he might have liked to on some occasions. If he would have gone to the temple in Jerusalem, there's no way he gets anywhere inside. He stands out there in what they call the court of Gentiles. He could go in the very outer part of the temple and that's as close as he could get. Even though he was praying to God. Even though he was someone who took care of the poor. Not only was he not a bad guy extorting people, but he used what he had to give to people. And so, then Peter began to speak, verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now, this happened, I believe. It reminds us of Acts chapter 2 when the same thing happened to the apostles. This happened because there needed to be outward signs of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter needed to be convinced. He was starting to believe, but he and the people with him, those circumcised believers, those people born into Judaism, they needed to see something that showed that God was meant for these people as well. 
that Jesus Christ died for these people as well. And so now they get the outward signs of the Holy Spirit. This is the only explanation I can come up with as to why they had the Holy Spirit prior to their baptism. Because it's already been established that the Holy Spirit would come upon people at the occasion of their baptism. And so... Uh, Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So, So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. And so this all this concludes... Because in, in chapter 11 is now he's in Jerusalem and he's having to explain his actions to some other Jews who are offended that he's been baptizing Gentiles. And then he explains it all to them. And then verse 18 of Acts chapter 11, When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. What we see here is the Great Commission Church starting to be fulfilled. Go into the world, baptizing people, all nations, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Years ago, I heard a story. And I, I told it once in this congregation probably, I don't know, five or so years ago. But thinking last night, I, it came to me and I just thought, that, that's worth repeating. Peter Arnett was a reporter for CNN years ago. This, uh, this event occurred probably in the 90s. And he was in Israel. He was in the West Bank. And it was a well-known you know, Palestinian development because the Jews and the Palestinians had been fighting over land for decades. And, and so uh, a bomb had exploded, which is known to happen in that area. And a man comes running up to Peter Arnett and he's got a little girl in his arms. And he's saying, please, please, because he knows that Peter Arnett is a part of the press. And so he says, sir, he says, this little girl is hurt. Please, please, you've got to get her to the hospital. And Peter Arnett says, well, what, what do you want me to do? I'm not a doctor. He says, no, but you're a member of the press. And he said, you can get through, uh, you can get through the security checkpoint, and I can't. And so Peter Arnett then goes and they, they, get in a, they, they get a taxi and they start heading off. They get through, just as the man had suggested, they get through the security checkpoint and they get to the hospital. And then they, they run inside. And then the man is the whole time trying to get to the hospital. He's just pleading with the driver. You know, she is dying. She is dying. She's losing blood. Sir, you have to drive faster. You have to drive faster. And they finally get her inside and medical professionals take her and they take her back and they immediately begin operating on the little girl. And then... The doctors come out sometime later and Peter Arnett sitting with the man. And he says, uh, the doctor comes out and he says, guys, I'm sorry. We did everything we could, but she had just lost too much blood. She did not make it. 
And the man just sat there sobbing. And Peter Arnett looks over at him and he says, I am so sorry. I can't imagine what you're feeling right now. I have never lost a child. I've never lost a daughter like you just did. And the man looked up at him and said, I don't know who she was. She wasn't my daughter. But at some point, we just have to realize that we are all part of humanity. Now, the man was Palestinian. The little girl was Jewish. People have been fighting for decades. And he gets it. As a church family, the challenge for us is because we're not dealing like the first century church did. You read Paul's letters and there were still a lot of issues with the Jews accepting the Gentiles. We don't wrestle with that, obviously. Why did you hear that message this morning? Because I think that we still have the ability to judge others. We shouldn't, but I think we do sometimes. There are people that we dismiss. There are people that we overlook. There are people that we don't take the time to invite to church because we somehow size them up. They're too rich. They're too poor. They're too, they're too rough. They're too something. We today, I think, are still in the unfortunate habit of sizing people up and determining that, oh, they wouldn't be right for our church family. And what God needs to remind us of today, the Hornwald Church of Christ, is that every single person is made in the image of God. Every person you see when you leave here today, the people that drive too fast, the people that drive too slow, the people that cut you off, the people that you see on the news that are protesting something or counter-protesting something, every single one of them are made in the image of God. And the sooner we can fully realize that, the closer to God we will be, the closer to the image of Christ we will be. We've talked a lot about baptism this morning. And if you are with us this morning and have not been immersed in baptism, then we offer the invitation so that can be changed once and for all. If you're with us this morning and there is some need that you need to bring before this body, then we are here to receive you for that reason as well. Let's stand together and let's sing.